And so with a greater standard of responsibility, there's a greater standard of accountability. James said it this way, let not many of you become teachers, speaking here of the office of teacher or pastor. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. Some positions of leadership require greater responsibility, and with it comes greater accountability. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy over the past couple of years. And today, Pastor Carl will conclude his sermon entitled, The Elder's Heart, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. Dr. Brogy shows us that elders are supposed to be an example for others to follow, as they lead by displaying their willingness, eagerness, and meekness to serve the body of Christ. Let's join Pastor Carl as he continues. If God's pastors would feed God's people, their ministry would change. Some of the fires that they spend 24-7 trying to put out, they would just go out. You'll always have fires. You'll always have problem people, especially tear in the church. But the vast majority of the people will be healthy. And let me just say to you, no matter what you do in this church, I don't care if you serve in children's ministries, teach Sunday school, Awana, lead an ABF, maybe you're an usher, a greeter, you work out in the parking lot, whatever capacity you serve in, you need to walk in close fellowship with the Lord. You need to stay close where your heart is warm towards him because otherwise it will be something you have to do rather than something you want to do. Your ministry needs to be an overflow of your walk with Jesus Christ. So elders are to have an attitude of willingness. And again, they're modeling for the flock what they want their people to be. But elders, too, are to have an attitude of eagerness, an attitude of eagerness. Look again in verse 2. But voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So the motivation is not for sordid gain, for financial profit. The heart of a pastor that is filled for a love of money rather than a love for ministry is a heart that is not in love with Christ. Look, I feel bad for people who hate their jobs. You're looking at a man who loves to do what God has called him to do. Why do I do it? Because you pay me? No, not at all. In fact, you don't pay me. You give your money to God, and then he pays me. And you ought to do that because that's what people are supposed to do. Paul said to Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, defining double honor versus honor, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his rages wages. And so while it's entirely appropriate for some elders to receive a paycheck because they are earning their living from the gospel, he is never to be motivated by money. And God knows I would pay the, for the privilege to preach the Word of God. Listen, for the first 12 and a half years I was in ministry, I had to raise my own salary with this missions group that I was with, I mean, my family didn't understand it. They said, Carl, you've just got a degree. You just went through the CPA program. What are you doing? You're going to get paid one-fourth 
of what you could start at just in your first year, and then it would go up. And you have to raise the money, give it to this organization so they can pay you a salary. It didn't make sense, but it's what God had called me to do. Listen, when I was in seminary, I'd meet some of these guys who were moaning and groaning that no pulpit committee had called them. During seminary, I was the pastor of evangelism as I worked with a missions organization of a large 4,000-member church. And I would tell some of these guys, look, if no church is calling you, don't worry about it. God's called me to be a senior pastor, and if no one calls me, I'll go and plant my own church. I'd been involved in startup ministries before, and I knew that by God's grace and because he has a passion, he wants people to come to Christ 10,000 times more than you want to, I could see it happen. Look, in the last 40-plus years I've been preaching, I've preached in all kinds of settings. I've preached on the streets in Boston and in Vienna. I've preached on the beaches in Daytona. I've preached on university campuses. I've preached to athletic teams. I've preached to fraternities, to sororities, to churches, to rescue missions, in prisons, and a host of other places. And in a few of those places, I was run off. But I preach not because I'm paid to preach, but because God has called me to preach. From on high, Jeremiah said, from on high, he has sent fire into my bones. Every now and then, I will hear someone say, well, that pastor left our church because another church offered him more money. Listen, a pastor should never do that. A pastor who is motivated by money is what Jesus called a hireling. And in my judgment, he ought not to be a pastor. Can you say amen to that? Ezekiel the prophet warned against such shepherds. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Jesus put it in these words in John 10. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. And in my estimation, any pastor who's in the church for the money has no business in being in that church. He's just fleecing the flock instead of feeding the flock. And we've seen in the last 24 months some of these big-shot pastors who made a fortune, and now they've apostatized and renounced the faith, but they got their money that they wanted. And many times when things get tough, people completely withdraw. But let me say to you, You have no business of potentially leaving your job and going to another job for more money. I don't know if you can say amen to that. But listen, it took no less of the blood of Christ to buy me than it did to buy you. And God is interested where he has planted you. And if he has put you in a church where your family is flourishing and you are growing, you don't say, well, the, this, the company offered me $30,000 more if I'd move to this city. It's a settled deal. No, it's not a settled deal. God may not want you to go to that job. And sometimes people have done so at great detriment and at great cost. So he says, not for a sort of gain, but then he adds, with eagerness. Why does he add that phrase, with eagerness? Because God knows the potential of the human flesh, 
as it relates to the nature of ministry itself. I mean, how do you really measure what a pastor does? Most of what I do, you never see. You don't see when I pray and fast. You don't see the people I counsel, the phone calls I have to make, the people I have to exhort, the time I spend over the Scripture. You can't measure the ministry of our wickets. Ah, you know, I got this done. You know, that's one of the reasons I love to cut my lawn. <laughs> when I'm done, it's like, hey, there's my, that's my hobby. I cut the grass. I got something. It's done. Is it? You can see it. But I don't live for the things that are seen. I live for the things that are not seen. Pastor said to me, I've been so disappointed. No one comes down for the invitation. The harvest is not at the end of the church hour. It's at the end of the age. And there will be things that will go on that you will never see. Just be faithful. It's a sacred... It's a sacred position God has given a man to discharge. And you see, the ministry is such that it's a good place technically to be lazy. Because, you see, you can't see some of these hidden things. And you can fool your people, but you will not fool the chief shepherd when he appears and you have to give an account. Elders, an attitude of willingness, an attitude of eagerness. Third, they are to have an attitude of meekness. Look at verse 3. Not as yet lording it over their, uh, those allotted to your charge, but proving examples to the flock. And the elder is not some ecclesiastical priest. He's not some big-shot bishop. He's not some dictator. He's a servant. And I know there are some pastors who are saying we should call ourselves CEOs. That just grinds against my heart because that is so contrary to the tenor of Scripture. Peter opened this chapter, therefore exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Peter was the great apostle, but he was also a pastor. He was a fellow elder. All elders are not apostles, but all apostles are elders. And he described himself as a fellow elder. Listen, if Peter was the first pope, he didn't know anything about it. He didn't see himself as some kind of a king. He saw himself as one who would share in the responsibilities and the problems and the challenges. You know, we got these big shots who come through town and they preach and everybody, hooray, 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 and they never have to deal with the problems. Peter had a different kind of mindset. Shepherd the flock, not as yet lording it over, allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example. Much like Paul was able to say, be ye followers of me as I follow or imitate Christ. It's leadership. You don't drive the sheep, you lead the sheep. And the local church needs leaders who will serve, servants who lead. And listen, as an elder, I have to lead by example. I have no right to ask you to do what I'm not doing. If I'm not sharing my faith, how can I ask you to share your faith? If I'm not giving at least a tithe to the local assembly, how can I ask you to do it? If I'm not praying for some specific need or event, how can I ask you to do it? 
We lead by example. Now, I want you to notice the interplay of words. Let me put verses 2 and 3 together for a moment here in this slide. Shepherd the flock of God among. Circle that word among in your Bible. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Then he says in verse 3, nor yet as lording it over. Circle that word over. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. So it's by being an example that the shepherd solves the tension here among being among the sheep and at the same time being over the sheep. People are to follow a good example, a biblical example. But unfortunately, one of the problems today is, again, we have this celebrity mentality rather than a servant mentality. And so we're not to think of ourselves as sovereigns, as elders, as pastors. We are to think of ourselves as Jesus described himself. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, I mean to be served, but to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. Quickly, beyond the attitude of an elder, I want us to finally look at the accountability of an elder. He now says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, keep in mind, while every believer is eligible for different crowns, and if you want to study that, we covered in our 45-week discovery class for new Christians, which I'm doing on Wednesday nights. I'll pick it back up in November, God willing. And I covered it in the Revelation in our series there because it came up. But there is a special crown for the elder, for the pastor. It's called the unfading crown of glory. And so there are two truths about the elder's crown I learned. First, the review of the elder is serious. The review of the elder is serious. Now, please notice the title given to the Lord Jesus here in verse 4. He's called the chief shepherd. And this is one of three titles given to our Lord that connect him as our shepherd. For instance, in John 10, he called himself the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13, he called himself the great shepherd. Now, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Three titles, the good shepherd, because as the good shepherd, he died for the sheep. As the great shepherd, he is watching over the sheep and making intercession for the sheep. And as the chief shepherd, one of these days, maybe sooner than we realize, he's coming back for the sheep and we will be with him forever. And so in the past, he died for us. In the present, he watches over us. But some glorious day in the future, he's coming back for us. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, you elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. And of course, to speak of Jesus as the chief shepherd, that makes us under shepherds. And since one of these days he is coming back, we are going to give an account. And it's a serious judgment. The word stewardship is one of, the word steward is used in three times in the New Testament. And one of the times it's used in reference to the elders of the church. Why? Because stewardship involves accountabilities. The writer of the Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so with a greater standard of responsibility, there's a greater standard of accountability. James said it this way, let not many of you become teachers, speaking here of the office of teacher or pastor. 
Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. Some positions of leadership require greater responsibility, and with it comes greater accountability. Jesus said, and from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. To whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Listen, if you're listening to me and you're a pastor, God is going to go through the quality of your leadership someday. And God speaks of the fact that we are not only responsible for a congregation of people, but we are responsible to the Lord Jesus. We will give an account. Every sermon you preach, every phone call you make, every person you counter counsel, every person you evangelize, Jesus is going to evaluate it someday. The chief shepherd is going to come, and someday every one of us will give an account of himself to God. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's the judgment of the just. It takes place in heaven to see how God will reward you throughout all of eternity. Shepherd the flock of God. It's not a conditional command. Shepherd them only if they don't give you trouble. Shepherd them only if they stay in line. Shepherd them only if they love you. Shepherd them only if they don't make any demands on you, especially at an ungodly hour. No, shepherd them, period. And so the review of the elder is serious. Secondly, the reward to the elder is gracious. We don't deserve anything, but that God would reward us in addition to his own presence in the glorious place that we will spend eternity in. He says in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I've had people ask me many times over the last 30 years I've been your pastor, how do you pastor such a large congregation of people? How can you please all these people? I don't even begin to try. I've learned that if I try to please you, I will displease him. If I'm going to preach this book faithfully, I will disappoint people. Some people come here for the first time, and before the service is over, they get up and they walk out. Not everyone who serves in the office of elder is going to receive the unfading crown of glory. And it would be better for a man not to serve in the office of elder if he is not going to take his responsibilities seriously. But the reward, it's undeserved. It's gracious. And let me say parenthetically that the vast majority of God's pastors in this world do not really, quote-unquote, shepherd big churches. Today we talk about the big preachers and the big churches. But when the chief shepherd comes, we'll really find what the big churches were and who the big preachers are because there are some men who pastor in obscure places at some crossroads somewhere, and no one knows their name, but the chief shepherd knows their name. And they are using their gifts and their abilities to the max. And some of those who are prominent will be asked to step down. And some of those 
whom you have never heard of will be asked to step up. And so it will be, as Jesus said, that many who are first now will be last, and those who are last will be first. Now look up here, and let's think about how we're going to apply this text to our lives today. Let me share three applications as we close. Number one, ask yourself, as a leader in God's church, how are you measuring up? If you are in a position of leadership in God's church, and even if you're not because you are to emulate the leaders who are to be examples, how are you measuring up? And most of us have some area of responsibility. Some of you dads, you've got a little flock that God has entrusted to you, and that flock is precious to the Lord. And if we would just do it well in our evangelical families with our kids, the church would be far different. I hope you understand that whenever I preach on this subject, I always take a hard look at my own life. See, I know too much Scripture to know the seriousness of the judgment that is before me. I know too much of the Bible to ignore a time of self-reflection and self-evaluation. Now, you may not be an elder, but the elders are to be an example, and you are called to follow. So how are you doing? And by the way, as a follower, how are you doing? You know, we've had a little controversy about mass. I meant to hit this the first service, but ran out of time. We don't have a mass policy, no seat, no mask. Some think we should. We didn't go that far. But neither do we have no mass at all. And don't tell me these churches where there's no mass at all that no one's getting sick. If you're in a big church and there's no mass, I guarantee that we've had eight people, 18 people get COVID in this church. Thank God nobody has been hospitalized. As far as I know, none of them caught it here in this assembly. But the elders have asked you to wear a mask till you get to your seat. If you're an elder, a deacon, an usher, a greeter, a parking lot worker, and we encourage people to wear a mask, even if they're not in those categories, at least until the time they get to their seat. Why? Because there are people who will not come to this church unless they see some kind of mask policy. They want to see something. And I don't want to say to you, you're unimportant. We don't care about you. I don't care if you come to this church. I don't want to have that kind of attitude. Dozens of our African-Americans aren't coming here yet for the simple reason they're a high-risk group, and I get that. Look, I had a young couple in their 20s last week thanking me that we had some kind of mass policy. So don't tell me, all the young couples want everything opened up. That's not true. And you do not have your thumb on the pulse beat like I do as a pastor because there's a lot of opinions on this subject, and they go across the board. So we're just asking you to respect your leaders and don't go online and run us down and say, let's have a revolt. That's the opposite of what God is asking us to do. You think I like wearing these goofy masks? I hate it. And I hope by God's grace it will be over soon. But I don't want to keep lost people from not coming here and save people from not coming because I am too prideful and too independent and I'm too cool. I don't wear a mask. 
So how are you following? Secondly, that's a little rant. I didn't mean to get that far. Are you one of his sheep? Are you? Do you know that you're saved? Do you know for certain that if the chief shepherd were appear today that you'd go to heaven? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Do you respond to the voice, the word of God, the voice of the shepherd is found in scripture? Has he given you eternal life? And has your life been born from above so that it is changed? Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And we have this mass of people in evangelicalism today who say they are saved and their life has never changed and they are so deceived. You say, no, I've received the chief shepherd. The Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. I've been born again. My life has changed. And I've been willing unashamedly to make a public confession of him before people. Then I would simply ask you this question. Are you a part of a local flock? Have you identified with a local church? You see, God knows nothing of unchurched people in the New Testament. He assumes that a believer will be willing to put himself under the authority of elders for their protection, for their feeding, and potentially, if needed, for discipline. If you're not one of his sheep, you can be. You can become one today. And if you are one of his sheep and you're not a member, we would love to have you today to become a member of this church. Now, our Father, I thank you for your word today and the opportunity to open it together. And as I've been preaching, the Spirit of God I know has been speaking in different ways, not just to my heart, but in the hearts of many that are listening. I pray today, Father, for that dear person who's never received the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you can make the promise that you make that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, speaking of Jesus, you said we would be saved instantly for all of eternity. Thank you because you did what you did. You can make that promise. Thank you that you didn't die for some or most, but all of our sin. And if we are willing to come to you calling our sin, sin, that it needs to be forgiven and changed, you said in a moment's time you would forgive us and give us everlasting life. Help someone in simple childlike faith, knowing that you cannot lie, You said it's impossible for you to lie. Help someone in faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And Father, for those who have done that and made that kind of decision in years past, but they need a local church, if they're listening online, help them to find a local church in the state they are in. Help them not to waste another week of floating, but to commit themselves to an assembly of believers and help someone even here today to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to listen again to today's message, The Elder's Heart, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- 787-7478 and requesting program The Elder's Heart 020. 
Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures.